Uh, my name is Michael Sandoval. Forgive me for the lack of eye contact here until I get geared up here. There we go. Um, what I want to do tonight, my name is Michael Sandoval. Um, I'm the resident old guy around here. Um, uh, it's my really honor and privilege to really serve with Ryan and Jay. And, and what I want to do tonight, just for a few minutes, is kind of have, <laughs> okay, dad talking to the kids. Um, and I, what I want to do first is kind of debrief a little bit from those surveys that we did. How many went to win retreat? Yeah, that was awesome. And um, yeah, all six of us. Um, <laughs> but it was, you know, um, as we're in the midst of this series of really kind of saying, this is where we are, this is where we want to go, and this is how we get there. Ryan and Jay and I have just been really wrestling with what God's saying. And a key part of that is being brutally honest with where we are. And last week at this very service, I really felt like there was just a really beginnings of some great conversation. It's hard to have a really deep dialogue when you have 300 people in a room or 150 people in a room. Um, 300, I, I exaggerated. Um, <laughs> but when you have 100 it's hard to, to, to start a dialogue. But I really felt some awesome dialogue begin to happen, right? When, when Ryan asked, where are we at? How many were here last week? And the young lady back here just started with, hey, this is how I feel. And everybody started going, yeah, me too. And I was going, whoa, this is cool. So, but what I want to do first is I want to debrief a little bit from those cards, those surveys. While we're at winter retreat, we ask three questions of everybody and ask them to write down answers on three by five cards, just like the ones you have there. We ask three questions to kind of get a sense of where we are. Those three questions... First off, we'll just start. We'll go through them one at a time, I guess. If we can just, we'll scroll through all three. First question is, on average, how many interactions do you have with people who don't have a relationship with Jesus on a weekly basis? Next question was, on average, how many spiritual conversations do you have with these people each week? And the last question that we asked is, what are one to two um, of your greatest fears and obstacles that keep you from starting spiritual conversations? Um, and you know, it was kind of a, kind of off on the, off the cuff, how that happened, the way we did those surveys, but it was really significant to me as we were thinking where we want to be and where are we to say, really, are we living on mission? So take your notes. This is not in your notes, but I want you to write down three numbers for me. So I took those or actually somebody took those questions and kind of crunched all those numbers and made some really cool graphs that you saw three numbers you need to write down because they're not on your notes. First number. 5,200. Second number you need to write down, 340. I don't know where you're going to put it. I, don't, I didn't get a good look at the notes this morning. And then the last number you need to write down is 6.5. So when it comes to these questions, first one being, how many interactions do you have? This was pretty wide open, open-ended. And quite honestly, when I did it, I was right in the uh, uh, 21 to 30 because I didn't include every interaction I have. Like when I get mad at the guy on the freeway and I'm, well, yeah. Um, I don't include those interactions. So I just said 25 where I might have a little bit of contact. Okay, you got it because you've done it too. Um, so I just said significant interactions. I said 25. Now, if you add all these up, being conservative, we have 5,200, 5,200 Converse, interactions a week. 200 people responded. That's a large portion of who we are. 
And of those 200 people, we have 5,200 interactions a week. I was kind of blown away by that number. To me, that's significant. Now, granted, that's not 5,200 people, but it's 5,200 interactions on some level. That's the first number. Second number, it relates to the second question. On average, how many spiritual conversations do you have with these people a week? And if you, if you, you know, add all those up, you come up with, three, obviously, 340 conversations. You're there already. But that's what it is, 340 conversations. Now, really, if you break this number down even more, you look at the far left. These are percentages on the left, not numbers. So really, that first category of zero conversations, that's 60 people. 60 of that 200 people said, I don't have any spiritual conversations at all. But I still look positively because that's how I tend to be. I exaggerate, and there's 300 people here tonight. But um, I thought, yeah, 340 spiritual conversations, that gr that's great. But the next number is where I really needed, where I was challenged, and that's that 6.5. Mathematicians are already there. 340 is 6.5% 6 of 5,200 interactions. So we have 5,200 interactions, and only 6.5 of those move into spiritual conversations. I don't know if that's good or bad, but to me, when it forced me to evaluate where I am and where we are, that maybe, maybe a goal for this year is we can up that number. So as we think about where God's taking us and how we're going to get there, and if we really believe God's calling, Ryan and Jay and I, I mean, this is one of the weirdest things we did was we were praying at that coffee shop down at San Pedro Market on a morning, you know, and there's all, in, in the middle of the day, and people are going around, and we're just praying and getting after God, and I'm crying, you know, and saying, hope nobody's looking. Uh, but we were really saying, God, what are you saying for awakening? And 100 people is really our heart. And I think that's conservative when you think of the interactions and you think of the conversations, and you think that some of us, you know, me included, I understand, are not really having spiritual conversations at all. So this, I mean, we really feel like God is saying, let's do something. Let's do something significant. 100 people is conservative, I believe. But part of this equation is looking, taking a hard look and saying, we need to bump that number from 6.5% to whatever. You know, like I said, uh, for me, I only put down, uh, you know, two conversations. So of the 25 people I interact with, you know, I'm right there in those averages. And I feel, I feel challenged that, really needs to be better. I'm not, I'm not saying we, I'm not saying it's 100%. You know as well as I do that we're called to be friends as well. And part of that is, is being just very relational. We talk about the weather. We talk about the fact that the Niners lost. We talk about all those things. That's part of, I'm sorry. Yeah, just, no joke. Um, so that's part of what we do is we extend ourselves relationally. But really our heart needs to be, we have something deep within us to give away. And let's start bumping at that 6.5%. Let's start tearing that thing down and moving towards spiritual conversations. We're going to talk a little bit more about what that means to us personally and practically. But I, I felt challenged by these. Are you catching me? Am I being mean as a dad? No, no. So that's not mine. That's not who I am. So anyway, so that was the two questions. Then this is where it gets really even, it gets a little more difficult. What was the last question? What are our fears and obstacles, right? So here's kind of how that broke down. <clears throat> You've got, uh, you know, rejection, timing, judgment, uncomfortable, uh, we feel uncomfortable, awkward, fear of lack of respect, 
Now, this is what I want. I want to start a missional community with these people here in the middle. Can you read that? There's 3% of you out there who have no, or what is it? Whatever percent, maybe 6%, maybe, maybe about 3% that have no fears. I want to start a missional community with you all. Who did that? Because I'm signing you at my group because we're going to kick some butt for the kingdom. But as I really pondered this, and Lori and I were talking about this this morning, I was deeply moved, we were deeply moved at how much fear plays a part, really in Western culture, but really in the Western church. Fear is great. Fear is healthy. I went hunting yesterday morning with some guys. I don't know, have any idea if you're out there right now. But it's good to fear when you have a bunch of 20-somethings with loaded shotguns. It's good to have a certain amount of respect for that and fear. But fear didn't keep me from getting familiar with how to use it and trusting the guys I'm with because I've watched them and I've seen. So fear is great because it protects us. But we sometimes get so overprotective that we will not be uncomfortable. We will not be awkward. We will not face rejection. Then that's when fear becomes our obstacle, our main, or one of our main obstacles. It begins to paralyze and it begins to, there's another word I had, and it's gone. Prison, <laughs> that's the word. Uh, it begins to paralyze and imprison us. And it begins to keeping us from doing what we need to do. And sometimes it keeps us from what we want to do. When I turned 50 a few months ago, Mar <laughs> uh, Marshall, what was, well, Marshall probably doesn't remember, um, but if Loren Brems was here, she would remember that I said, <laughs> I said I was going to dance more because I'll go to a wedding and I'll sit there and watch people dance. But I'm, but I'm afraid. I'm afraid if I'm going to go out there and dance. I really want to be out there having fun. I honestly do. But I'm afraid that if I do, all those things are going to happen. I'm going to lose friends. I'm going to feel awkward. It's going to look uncomfortable. All those things. Um, so fear is great. And maybe it's good that I'm afraid to get on the dance floor. Thank you. Um, but let's not keep it from, let's keep us from doing what's right. We can't let it keep us from doing, in some ways, what we really, 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 really deeply want to do. Because I believe in each one of us, God has deposited incredible, incredible potential for his kingdom. Ryan's going to talk about this. And fear imprisons and paralyzes that. So we don't want to do that. So that's kind of the tough news. Um, and I know this is just one phase of pinpointing where we are. I understand that, and you all do too, one little phase of it. But it's significant because we believe God's called people to receive the gospel. Now, the challenge with this is, and I've, I've, I've sat where you are sitting now, sometimes when we think about these terms, we think, well, you know, Ryan and Michael and Jerry, and, you know, they just want to get people into the seats and say what a big thing we are, or a big church or whatever. Really, our heart is not about attracting people. It's about impacting the city. With the leadership and the worship groups like this, um, attracting a crowd is really not that hard to do. But to impact a city, man, that's a totally different thing. So we feel like our call is to steward well the people that come in our doors, the people that are just kind of looking and checking out Christianity or checking out Awakening and saying, what's this all about? So what we're, what we're being asked or what we really kind of felt like God laid out for us to do is articulate in some ways, again, um, really who we are and what we're doing. So real quick, I want to go through 
three kind of areas that we feel like corporately that will help us maybe feel more comfortable and break through some of the fear barrier. If you kind of know what we're doing as a church, you can say, yeah, that's what that's about, and that's what that's about, and I have a place. So you've heard this before, but we're going to go, uh, go through it again anyway. Um, part of what we want to do is we really think, said, what do we do next? How do we chart the course? We talked about Sunday worship, what we do here, the Sunday gathering. This is our large, large gathering for celebration and inspiration. Um, I better check my notes because I don't want to wander too greatly. Um, and the, our really goal here is to really create an environment. You've heard this before, but where people can have a meaningful encounter with Christ. We do that through intentional worship, intentional teaching, and this is where we have struggle with and where we hit talked about last week is intentional personal connection. If we call Awakening home, it doesn't take long to realize that to do what we do takes a lot of work. These chairs don't just materialize. Those curtains, the lights, the sound. It's a lot of time, energy, and resources that we do to do this. But this is so important to us that we begin to create space and environments for people to connect to Christ that we invest that time, energy, and resources. So as we look to the future and we think about Sunday, you all need to be praying daily, at least once a week, at least once a week for a permanent location. Because if you ask anybody in here that's been around long, you've been asked to help serve setting things up. So we need a permanent location so we don't constantly duplicate time, energy, resources on doing these things. But the time, energy, resources can be focused on intentional worship and intentional teaching and intentional personal connection. So Sunday worship, that's what that's all about. So when you think about this, we want to create an environment where people will be comfortable to come here and not be freaked out. So, um, if you want to, on your notes also, that's good intro. You could write under Sunday, you can write join the movement. Has anybody heard that before? Yeah, join the movement. Next thing is intro. I'm about to hurry this up. I'm going too long. Um, intro. Uh, um, as, as people begin to hang around, it's a natural progression for people to say, what do I do next? If you're coming and you're saying, yeah, there's something going on, the natural progression is, what do I do next? How do I get involved? We really are spending a lot of effort to streamline and systematize and make this thing simplified so that we don't create more hoops for people that want to get connected. We're trying to simplify that so that it's like, yeah, this is an easy process. Um, and we're also going to start a new believers class. So one month will be intro. The next month will be new believers. I don't know what we're going to call it, but we're, once again, we're trying to create spaces where people in intro can say, who are you and what are you guys doing? What are you about? We can clearly identify that, make it simple. New believers class, so we can clearly talk about what does it mean to follow Christ? What does it mean to be a believer? Create a safe environment where you can ask those questions that you probably wouldn't really be um, willing to do here. So intro is a place where we begin to, or this process of in intro um, is experiencing community. We let people begin to experience community. Um, and then lastly, the last step, of course, is to live on mission. Um, and that's missional communities. We can write in there and live on mission. This is a huge part, and I believe a huge burden for me, because I believe this is really where the rubber hits the, hits the road. We begin to move from this event and kind of event class orientation even, and we begin to move into really a lifestyle. That if I really, really, really am living on mission, I will care and live, you know, care about my neighbors. 
And so we'll be intentionally um, living out mission. And it's great to do that in small groups. Missional communities are basically small groups of five to 16 to 20 people um, that join around a mission. Um, we're going to see a video in just a second that talks about that from Megan and Lauren and the group that they led. Um, but our heart is to intentionally invest in those missional community leaders. We believe this is where the rubber hits the road. So we want to, we've set up specific training times to sow into our, sow into our leaders so our leaders feel equipped, loved, cared for, and trained. Um, let's see what else. I don't think I'm missing anything. Ryan, am I missing anything? Um, so to, uh, Ryan will be spending specific time um, with a leadership training for our missional community leaders so that they will um, be able to serve better. Alongside Ryan's training, we have set up coaches like Felicia and Dave Larson, uh, Lori and my, my wife and myself. So we, and we kind of help hold our leaders accountable and have mentoring type of relationships with our leaders. So if you, if you hear somebody volunteering, you know, asking you to volunteer as a leader, we're not throwing you to the wolves. We really are trying to create a, a network and environment where you're cared for and loved, trained and equipped. That's what missionary communities are about. I think that's it. So um, that's kind of my little dad talk. This is where we are. This is where we need to move forward. We're closing out a series called We Are Here. Uh, it said the big idea from the very beginning is that every meaningful destination requires intentional navigation. If you want to get anywhere, it requires a level of navigation. We apply the three fundamental laws of navigation. I won't spend much time on this because I've covered it the last two weeks, but the three fundamental laws of navigation are simply this. First, you've got to identify your desired location, where you want to go. Where there is in your life, or, uh, and then the second thing you got to do is not only identify where you want to go, you got to pinpoint your present location. Here's where you're currently at. Uh, just knowing where you want to go isn't enough. You have to actually go back and identify, hey, where are you? And then, and then we, we get this. This is, I'm going fast, but you, you, you're smart crew. You can stay with me. Not only do you identify, hey, that's where I want to go. This is where I'm currently at. But what's the, what's the last thing you got to do? Anybody? Chart the course. Yeah, a few of you have been around. Great. you got to chart the course from where you're currently at, identified where you're at, to where you long to be. And we spent the last three weeks, and the first week we talked about our, I, identifying our desired destination. We talked about that for us as awakening, is, is that we long to see this year, and we're praying and expecting that God is going to bring a hundred new people because of this community into new life with Jesus. That's our desired destination. That the desired destination is that we are followers of Jesus who extend the grace and love and hope of Jesus to hurting and broken people around us. And we just did, and, and Michael, thank you so much for taking the time, and just pinpointed our present location. We talked about that last week, and we had a real kind of amazing, open, honest uh, dialogue, and it's powerful. It is so powerful to pinpoint your present location and be able to go, oh, that's where I really am. Tonight, we're going to talk about charting the course, because it, it's, it's just not enough to know where you're at and know where you want to go. You have to chart the course. When I was in eighth grade, I was, um, I grew up in Soquel, just over uh, the hill from here, and I went to a school in Scotts Valley, you know, so from Soquel to Scotts Valley, it's about a 15-20 minute drive, and we got report that there was a major accident on the road, and so that, like, it was just stop traffic, 
And, and so my mom's like, oh, what do we do? We're going to be late. And she's like one of those real prompt people. She drives about 45 in the slow lane. She's that, t- that person that's just like, oh, but she's never had a ticket, never had an accident. You know, she's, and, and, but I, I was like, oh, hey, mom, guess what? Guess what? I know a back road to get to school. She's like, how do you know a back road? Don't worry about it, Mom. I know in eighth grade, I've never driven a car. I've never done, I've done it before, Mom. I know a back way to get there. I know this road. If we go up here and we go in in the, the woods here and we turn here, we'll be there. And she's like, okay. 30 minutes later, we're lost in Santa Cruz Mountains. And finally had to work our way back the way we came. And by the time we finally got back the way we came, the accident had been completely cleared. And I ended up about two hours late to school. Because here's what you and I know. It is not enough just to know where you want to go and where you're currently at without effectively charting the course from here to where you want to be, those two points don't matter, do they? They don't. And so tonight, we want to take a second and go, okay, let's, let's not just go, hey, that's where we want to be and have this emotional experience last week. Oh, that's where we're at. How do we get from where we're currently at to where we long to be and not lost in the wood doing circles? Because I think that's where we end up a lot of times, isn't it? I think we just kind of go, well, we'll figure it out as we go. Well, well, you know what, I, I'm not really sure. But did you know, I mean, take this, did you know that Jesus charted the course? That Jesus laid a game plan. Jesus said, if this is where you're currently at, I long to take you to where I, you ultimately long to be and where I dream for you to be. And, and as we talk about this, not only for us individually, but us as a church, for us to become the church God longs for us to become, for you to become the person you dream to become, he says, I've charted a course. And if you got your Bibles, open them up, if you would, to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, it is the beginning of the church as we know it. Jesus, when you pick up the story, he died, he rose again. He's been now walking the planet for about 40 days post-resurrection. It's not like these ghost sightings of like, oh, maybe he's out there. He's been eating with people. Over 500 eyewitnesses have seen him. And the disciples have a question. They're wondering what's next. The disciples are, you know, charting the course. They have a game plan. They're going, okay, the conversation that we pick up is actually the disciples going to Jesus, going, hey, Jesus, you know, now that you're like all resurrected and stuff, that's cool, you know wounds. We got a plan. In, in fact, but they're, they're kind of sly. They want to put, we're going to ask it in question form, but, but you know what? We got a plan, and that's where we pick up the story, and this is where Jesus lovingly kind of shapes them and, and moves them onto, he says, guess what, guys? Let me chart the course for your life. Let me chart the course for this movement, and you will be amazed at what I long to do in and through you. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. It says, so, when they met together, that's talking about Jesus and the disciples, uh, the disciples asked him, Lord, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? 
Now, now this is a chart-the-course conversation by the disciples. This is like, hey, we realize what's happening. This is not like a spiritual conversation. This isn't like, hey, you know, are you really going to do something good? Are we going to have this meeting? This is a political chart-the-course. This is the disciples wanting to go, hey, Jesus, guess what? We got a plan. We've been talking, and here's what we want to see you do. We think, now that you've done the whole resurrection bit, because that was great, by the way, amazing, you know, came back to life, you predicted your own death and resurrection, then you did it, that's awesome. Now let's take over the evil empire that's been oppressing Israel, and let's return Israel to the modern day superpower that we're reigning and ruling, and guess what, we get to kind of come in behind because we're your right hand macho guys, you know. And Jesus says, I got a better plan. I, I got a different plan. And, and isn't it true that we come to God with our own plans, don't we? We come to God with our own expectations. We come to God with our own dreams. And, and we actually pray in such a way that isn't God, what would you have? It's God, I have this, would you bless it? I have this relationship, would you bless it? I have this job, would you bless it? This, these, these things. God, if you will do these sort of things. And he's saying, hang on, hang on, on. Would you let me chart the course? You gotta imagine, I mean, like all the wind sucked out of the disciples' cells, right? I mean, they're coming, they got this question, they've kind of built up the courage to finally go, okay, guess what? Isn't it time for you to kind of take power and be the ruler, and we're gonna show might, and this is gonna be great? I mean, that's, that's the plan, that's the game plan, right, Jesus? And then his answer, watch his answer. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has sent by his own authority. You know what he's saying? Guys, you're asking the wrong question. You're, you're focused on the wrong thing. Notice what he says next. He says this. Charting the course. But you, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of of the earth. He says, I'm going to lay out a game plan that will change the face of this planet. I'm going to take a ragtag group of disciples that denied me, that doubted me, that disowned me, and I'm going to change the face of this planet. I'm going to entrust to you guys the most meaningful message on the planet. And it's not that I'm going to come in full might, and that was the question, what are you going to do, God? And God, when are you going to show up? And that's what we do. And, God, and Jesus says, no, no. And you. Did you notice that? But you. But you. Not the person next to you, not the person behind you, but you. If Jesus is here tonight, and he is in sense, what, what he would look at you and he said, but you. And you've been kind of sitting on your hands and feet, and you're going, but God, when are you going to do this? But God, if you'll make this, then I'll. And he says, no, 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 and I've said it before. God will go with you, but he will not go for you. And he says, but you, by the way, you're my plan. Oh, that's a bad plan. Don't you know my past? Don't you know what I did last week? 
Don't you know where I come from? That's a bad plan. Don't you know who Jesus had to start with? I mean, just think about it. Think about his core group. I mean, he had Matthew the tax collector. That guy ripped people off for a living. He had Simon the zealot. He was a rebel. He was trying to rage war against the empire of Rome. He had Peter the loudmouth. He wasn't even very good with a sword. He cut off a guy's ear. Nobody aims for the ear. All right? So in battle, he is useless. And he had Thomas the doubter. And he says with that group, that group, I long to entrust the most meaningful, most powerful message this planet has ever heard, that the God of the universe loves you and would do whatever it takes to be with you. In fact, go to the very cross and pay the penalty that you and I rightfully deserve and that we might have a relationship with him. I'm going to entrust that to you. Not but Jesus, not but, but you. And your past, by the way, does not disqualify you. Now notice what it says next. Here's, here's his game plan. His game plan when he charts the court is he starts with you. And some of you just need to hear this and you just need to finally go, amen. Realize I'm Jesus' game plan. When he charts the course, he says it's about you and you just need to finally go, I'm in God. He says, you're not doing it on your own. It's not about your ability. It's not about your smarts. It's not about your intellect. Those things are great, but notice what he says. But you will receive what? What does it say? Come on now. Come on now. I'm not alone. You will receive what? Power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you. All right. So Jesus' game plan is real simple. When he charts the course, he says, I choose you. But it's not just you on your own. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. God's part is he wants to supernaturally empower you and me to accomplish the most powerful, most meaningful mission on this planet. The word power there is the word dunamis. It's where we get our modern day uh, word for dynamite. It is this explosive, this power. Now think about it. Let me ask you this question. This is a little probing. I'm sorry. Have you experienced the power of God lately in your life? I mean, let's just be honest. Let's think about us in the Western church. He says, Jesus says, this isn't like just for New Testament. This happened then. This isn't just for saints of like they're holy, righteous. This is for every person who would give their life to Christ. He says, you will receive dunamis, power. When the Holy Spirit, when my Spirit comes upon you. Now let me ask you this. Why is it that so many of us live powerless, defeated lives? You know, Peter, who was there, who was listening to Jesus say this, who got up a little bit later and gave the first message, and when he gave the first message, 3,000 people came to know Christ. Talk about a great opening message, you know? You're like, man, that's a great way to start your ministry. He says later, 2 Peter 1, 3, his divine power, speaking of God, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. You currently, if you're a follower of Jesus, have everything you need to be the person God created you to be. Now let me ask you again. 
Because this is a big idea. A big, big, big. Why is it? Why is it then that we live such wimpy, weak, powerless lives? In, in fact, if you would do this, uh, just do a practice with me this week. Uh, on the back of your notes, you'll see there's missional community curriculum. This isn't back there, but if you'll, if you'll do this practice, if you'll go to BibleGateway.org and just look up the word power uh, and then just read it in uh, all the New Testament instances, you'll be shocked. You go, that's what's available to me? Huh. I never knew. The same power, the scripture says, that raised Christ from the dead now lives and dwells inside of you. That's why Jesus' game plan, he's going, I choose you, but I want to empower you. It's not about your ability. Now, back to the question. Why is it? I think there's actually four reasons. Let me see my time, see if I can get to all of them. First, first is whether you've chosen to just partake in a religion or are you actually in relationship with God. I think some of us go through the motions of church but have never really stepped into a relationship with the God of the universe, never surrendered our life to him and said, God, I'm all yours. In fact, Paul, when he was talking to Timothy, the young pastor in uh, 2 Timothy 3, he, he's giving him advice on different types of people, and he, he's warning them. He warns them about certain people that, that embrace a form of godliness, yet denies its what? Anybody? I heard you over here. It's power. Where I think some of us, the reason we, we're not experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit is we're not in relationship with the God of the universe, and you need to step into relationship with Him tonight and simply invite Him into your life. Surrender your will and say, God, I want to have a relationship with you. Second is then I think many of us who are probably in this room are here is we've quenched the work of the Spirit. First Thessalonians 5, uh, Paul writes this. He says, do not quench the Spirit. You quench, you know, that whole idea of like a fire that is burning and then you snuff it out, you quench it, you squash it down. Do you squash a fire? You probably don't squash a fire, do you? But you know what I meant. Well, how do you do that? Do you have habitual sin in your life? Is there active rebellion where you're constantly going back to the same thing over and over and over again? It's that porn activity. It's that gossiping. It's those things that you know. It's that cheating, that lying, that... I'm telling you, it quenches. It quenches the work of the Spirit in your life. Now, I'd say maybe one of the strong calls for us to be the church God calls us to be and for you to be the man or woman you long to be. Is this a moment to repent? To go, God, I'm sorry. Where you confess to somebody close by, here's where I'm at. Repent literally means to do that 180. I'll do one more. I've got time for it. Third is is I think um, need to ask for some. Some of you are here. Am I in a season of pruning? John 15. 
when you first become a follower of Christ, there is this like, you, you just sense his presence right away, don't you? And you're just like, oh man, and you, you pray and he answers prayer and you're watching all this kind of stuff. And what happens is something that happens to us is we begin to become addicted to the moment and to the experience instead of God himself. And I think one of the things he does, and I've watched it over and over, is there's times where he'll withdraw his presence, his experience, where you're not like, wow, I don't experience him, so that you be fall more in love with God and not the experience. And God is way more concerned with your character than your comfort. And so he, as a loving gardener, will prune back for you to become who you're designed think there's three big areas there. It's not for you to know the times, dates, but you will receive power. It says, I've chosen you. I want, I've empowered you by the Holy Spirit. Now, notice this. Here's your part. And you will what? Be my... Ah, oh, come on, guys. Come on. I know, I know the Niners lost. I know it's rough. <laughs> You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You'll be my witnesses. What, what is a witness? Just tell me out. Yell it out. What's a witness? Just not like, I need a witness. Okay, okay. What, what is it? Come on. Give an account to what you've seen. Yeah. What are you going to say, man? Absolutely. Someone, see, this isn't rocket science, right? Someone who observes something and then tells others about it. Some, right back there? Was it Marshall? Did you? Or no? You're just scratching. Okay, good. Good. If you need help with that, let me know. Okay. But, but a witness, and in fact, this word is really used in a legal term. It's someone who testifies to what they've seen and heard, what they've experienced in a court of law, bearing witness. He says it's not that complicated, and we're looking at those things that we're like, you know, our fears, and one of them was, I don't, I'm not sure I'll have the words to say. And he's like, you don't have to be the greatest theologian. You don't have to know all this. All you have to do is realize God has chosen you. Here's the chart, the course. Here's the pathway. I've empowered you. When you step out, you'll experience the power of God. And all you have to do is bear witness to what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've experienced. So, if you've never experienced the love of God, you can't bear witness to it, can you? In fact, this word is interesting. Uh, in the Greek, it, it's where we get our modern-day word martyr. Over the course of a few centuries, this word witness, and there are so many people who stood witness to what they've seen and heard and experienced of Jesus. But oftentimes, those who witnessed were then killed, that the connection became so closely connected that now we get our, we use this same word in English, but it's martyr, and it means one who died for what they believed. You know, we ask that question, you know, what, is, what fears do you have? The number one fear was the fear of rejection. The number two fear was won't have the answers. Let me just ask you, what's the worst thing that could happen? I mean, just think about it. What's, what, what, is, what is the worst thing that could happen? In, in our world, in our context, it's rejection, guys. In the writing of this, it was an evil emperor named Nero who would take 
Christians and use them as lamps for his parties and tar them up, tie them on a pole, and light them. He would take Christians and then put them in animal skins, throw them into the arena for sport and play, and watch animals tear at their flesh. That, for them, was the worst thing that could happen. And for us, we go, oh, well, somebody might not like me. You know what I love the question, though, is not just what the worst thing that could happen because it brings life into kind of crystal clear reality, but what's the best thing that could happen? You ever thought about that? Because what, what paralyzes what Michael's talking about is those fears. What will propel us forward is when we see and understand, guess what? There are people that are all around us, and what we know, every single one of us has at least five to ten people who do not know Jesus that are in our lives. And those people desperately need to hear that the God of the universe loves them. That the God of the universe came for them. That the God of the universe would not settle for just going, yeah, well, sorry, I will die for you. And that they experience new See, I have all the same fears. I, I have all the same things that like build up and that apprehension. And when I feel like the Spirit of God's telling me to go talk to someone, I'm like, oh, God, I don't know. Yeah, it's not a really good time. Uh, and I have all those same things. Oh, what will they think about me? They'll think I'm one of those crazy Christian guys. And, or what about this? I have all those same things. And the thing that propelled me forward is when I move past that and I begin to ask the question, what is the best thing that could happen? You see, my friend Preston, who knows Jesus, I don't regret being that weird Christian guy on my high school campus that went to him and we're sitting in our government class and going, I mean, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was a senior in high school, but God just got a f- hold of my heart afresh, so I just had to share it with everybody who was around me. That's just the most natural thing to do. And I just went to press, and I said, do you know Jesus? <laughs> this was my opening line, you know? And he's like, no. <laughs> but it was a better conversation than what was happening in U.S. government, so we talked. <laughs> Preston, who didn't know Jesus, said, hey, can we talk about that more? Preston, who didn't know Jesus, started a Bible study at my house my senior year of high school. Invited his friends, and we started to just read through the Gospel of John. Preston, who didn't know Jesus, came to know Jesus later that year. And six of his friends came to know Jesus that year from one silly question that had, it wasn't, do you know Jesus? And it was, Preston, who didn't know Jesus then, is one of my best friends today. Married a pastor's daughter, lives in San Diego, loves Jesus, has two kids. Now look at it. His life, the trajectory of his life has been forever changed because one single moment where I decided to bear witness and move past fear to say, you know what, what's the best thing that could happen? And I'm not going to live in the worst thing that could happen. 
And then, I don't know if you'll notice this, but Jesus has a strategic game plan. He says, I've chosen you. I'm going to empower you with my spirit. It's not you, your ability, how good of talker. In fact, my story with Preston, I have a a bunch more of those that, not because I said anything, I'm not very good at it. I just go, has anybody ever told you about Jesus? That's like my opening line. And nine times out of ten, they go, no. And I go, could I? And I'm like sweating. I'm feeling like, I don't know how it's going to work out. Sure. I share, like, what Jesus, would you like to receive Jesus? Yeah. You would? <laughs> okay, okay. Well. I remember sitting in a car with a guy named Garvey. We'd just gone and s- seen a movie and we had that same conversation. Garvey, has anyone ever told you what Jesus has done for you? No, could I? Yeah. Would you want? Yeah. We went out and got ice cream sundaes to celebrate. It was awesome, you know? It wasn't slick. It wasn't any, like, special. It was just, man. Yes, and that's where Paul said in Romans 1, right? I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it. It, the gospel, is the power. Same word, dunamis, of God for the salvation of those who believe. Man, what if we just got over ourselves and began to actually care more about others than what others thought of us? Imagine what God would want to do. Imagine the futures he's want to change. Think about this. I love this idea that heaven is expanding when we do that because more people are coming into the kingdom of God. He says, I want to use you. I'll empower you. Your calling is just to be my witness. And then he says, strategically, let me talk strategy with you for a second. Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea. Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. All right, right next to Jerusalem. Let me just talk strategy for you a second. Uh, in, in that day, it would be uh, their hometown. In Jerusalem, just right, those that know you and you know by name. When Jesus is talking strategy, in fact, this uh, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth as, is actually a rough outline of the book of Acts. And you see the whole book of Acts then move, and it ends in Rome with Paul in Rome. Jerusalem, those that know you and you know by name. This is in your home. This is in your neighborhood. This is your family, your classmates, uh, those you work with closely, deep friends. Judea then moves from those who, uh, that you know and you know by name to those you don't necessarily know, but you, you share something in common with. Judea is the surrounding area. You share things in common with. This could be people uh, that a coffee shop, a local bar or gym, school, your workplace. They're not in your particular group that you work with, but they're in, you know, Apple's Massive. You share something in common. Or, or it might be a sports team that we, many of us share in common. And, and so what we share in common today is mourning um, and grief. But he says, by the way, this is the way the gospel should expand. For you and for I, it shouldn't be something, and we kind of think of missions and bring that up. We think the ends of the earth, don't we? And if I'm going to live on mission, I'm going to go somewhere and live on mission. Jesus says, no, it starts in Jerusalem with those you know, your family. It starts at the heart. If you can't live it out there, what makes you think you're going to go over there and live it out? I cut a little deep. I'm sorry. I heard that. And then Samaria. Those in the same area as you, 
but who are different. See, when, uh, when the author, you know, tells us here, Jesus is saying, Judea, Samaria, it's the same region. It's broken up because there's a deep divide culturally. There's a deep divide racially. There's a deep divide religiously here because Judea was like, okay, we're Jewish, we're the chosen people, and then Samaria, man, we hate them, and they hate us. In fact, there's such deep hatred, though it was kind of smack dab in the middle. If they had to go on the other side, they would go around Samaria. He says, here's how the gospel is supposed to expand for you and for me. Jerusalem, those that you know and know you, then those who don't, that you have similar things. He says, what, but what about those that are different than you? They're in the same area, but you have something, uh, they're just different than you. They're, they're people you would avoid. People that you see come and you go the other way. They may have differing beliefs, differing values, may come from a different social economic status than you. A different ethnicity. I'd say for the church, an area where as kind of corporately in America, we failed in this area miserably is with the LGBT community. And all that gets publicized is what the church is against. And Jesus says, I'm for you. I came for you. I love you. He says the gospel is supposed to go to those that are different than you. You're like, but I'm a jock. I don't know how to talk to engineers. I know. Me neither. I don't, I, don't, I don't speak that. And sometimes engineers talk to me, and I just like go, I don't have a clue what you just said. That was off topic. And then the ends of the earth. Then the ends of the earth. You. Jesus chose you. He says, you'll receive power and the Holy Spirit comes on you. The moment you step into a relationship with the God of the universe, he says, I've sealed you with my spirit. The question is, will you surrender and let him lead you? Will you be his witness? And will you start with the people around you? I have a little um, three-by-five card, and, and what I want to do is just simply what I call the three-by-five challenge, okay? Three-by-five challenge, and, and I'll go back to my story with Preston in a second, my, because this is where I got this from. I don't know who told me about this, but there's, I, I just believe in three-by-five cards. This is one of the most spiritual documents that I have um, you'll note in my backpack, you'll see a stack of three-by-five cards, and I use them for everything. Um, uh, but my senior year of high school was the first time that I r- actually did this, and I watched God show up. Uh, and, and what I want you to do is just kind of write one, two, three on there, maybe four or five if you want. Because I know we all have this. Who are three to five people you No, that don't know Jesus that you can just pray for every day. And you just write it here. And what I did in high school is I just wrote their names right here, and I just put it by my bedside table. And every night before I went to bed, I began to pray. And Preston was at the top, 
Doug was underneath there. Adam was underneath there. Clint was there. Um, and, and it just went down. I had five guys that I started my senior year praying for. By the end uh, of the year, it was down to like 12 or 13 names. And I prayed for them every night. And when God gave an opportunity, I, I just stepped through it. And honestly, I didn't know what I'm, I'm not a senior in high school, okay? This isn't like, he's Bible trained. No, 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 I don't know what I'm doing. And God uses that. I think he uses it way more than when we come thinking we know what we're doing. We come off arrogant. You know what was amazing about that? That year, there was about 12, maybe even 15 names on the card. Every single person that year came to know Jesus, except for one. And I was at a wedding years later. I was talking to him. His name's Jacob. And I was like, and I heard he came to know Jesus. I'm like, dude, I was praying for you. I'm like, what a cool conversation. Like, we didn't even have to still. It was years later at a wedding. I go, dude, I've been praying for you for years. Would you take the three by five challenge? Would we pray for the people around us and we'd start in Jerusalem and Judea and know them by name for me it's my neighbors and I know my neighbors by name and I honestly if I just confess I don't pray for them the way I should and I don't step through the opportunities that God gives the way I should and so for me they're they're on my card and I've just started praying this simple prayer and maybe you can write it at the top of the card God Will you give me an opportunity, where is it, to share with someone in some way about you today? I just started praying that prayer. God, will you give me an opportunity to share with someone in some way, I don't know what it's going to look like, I don't know how it's going to work, about you today. Just real simple. Maybe it's inviting them to awakening. Maybe it's just encouraging. Maybe it's just saying, hey, how can I pray for you? Maybe it's saying, have you ever heard about Jesus? How did it go out my mouth? God, would you give me an opportunity to share with someone in some way about you today? I started praying that prayer this week, and it was Wednesday when I really started. I was like, I'm praying it, and Wednesday was a study day for me, so I'm exactly my my wife's out of the house, and I'm at the house just studying all day, and so I go to pick up the kids, so I'm not around anyone at all. I mean, I'm locked up by myself like this, you know, and I was praying, God, would you give me an opportunity to share with someone in some way about you today? And then, as, as I uh, w- went to school, I, at my kids' school, I get really introverted, all right? I, I just do. Like, I don't know what it is, but something about that environment, maybe school, you know. Like, uh, but I, I go to their school, and I'm like, I don't want to talk to anybody, but I just want to get my kids and leave, and I don't make eye contact with people. I'm just like, they probably think I'm the weirdest, meanest guy on the face of the planet. Um, but I see a buddy that I do know, and I was excited to talk to him. So we're like talking for half an hour, you know. I'm breaking this mold, and there's this lady that was just kind of hanging out. And her kids were playing with my kids. And so, like, for 30 minutes, I talked to this guy, and we just had this great conversation. It was great. And I just kind of noticed her. And he was, an, he was a pastor, and I thought, you know, oh, she's probably waiting to talk with him, you know? I mean, he's a somebody. I'm a nobody. He's probably going to talk to him. And, and, and then he leaves, and she's still there, and her kids are, uh, 
And I was like, hi, hi. And I have to reintroduce myself because I didn't know her name. And, I was, and then she asked about Awakening. And I was like, oh, Awakening's great. And oh, it's so fun. This is amazing. I share about you guys, and I love getting to do that. And, and then I was like, okay, kids, let's go. And, dude, I get up, no lie. I just grab my kids and bolt. Because I'm like, there's a conversation outside at school. I don't know how to do with this. And later that night, God's like, remember that prayer you prayed? Yeah. So that was your opportunity. (laughs) Oh, that's how that works. And here's what I'd say. Some of you are going to start praying that prayer, and you're going to realize later that you missed the opportunity. I just say, that's okay. What I started praying is, God, will you give me the eyes to see the opportunity? And would you give me the courage to step through that? Would you take the three by five challenge with me? Would you step into this where we care more about others and the relationship with God than our own comfort and our own fears? And would you take the three-by-five challenge and pray for the people in, that you know? And I, in fact, I didn't, so, and at some point, it may not be next week, Sunday. Next Sunday is a great Sunday to invite people, especially Sunday morning. I mean, we've got tacos, which is, I mean, that's the food of heaven, so you can't go wrong with that. But it may be another, another Sunday where you invite them to something. You invite them to friends, and, or you do something where you go, man, I, I'm looking for opportunities. And you'd pray that prayer with me. God, would you give me an opportunity? Give me an opportunity to share something about you today in some way. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time. And as I look out, I just ask that in this moment, I feel like, would you give us the courage to move forward on the things that you've shown us? Would you make us a church that prays for those who don't know you? Would you give us a heart that breaks for those who, who desperately need to hear your love and grace? And then would you give us a winsome courage to share, to step through the opportunities you give us? In Jesus' name, amen.